on the Trinity, particularly about Jesus being God. Okay, so again, this will be the last Sunday that we cover passages about Jesus being God, and then we'll move on to uh, passages about the Holy Spirit being God. Then we will jump into the book of Malachi. Okay. All right. While they um, they are uh, passing those things around, um, what you see on um, on this chart is 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 two columns, right? Uh, and so what we what I'm trying to help us to see is the Bible specifically tells us there are certain traits or characteristics that are unique to God alone. Okay, that God possesses these traits or characteristics. Okay, so real quick to go down the list. Um, on the column, it says traits that are unique to God. Uh, it says that creation is the work of his hands alone. Only God creates. Okay. Um, then it says God is the first and the last. Okay, He's the beginning and he is the end. He is Lord of Lords. He is unchanging and eternal. He is the judge of all people. He is the only savior and there is no other God that can save. God redeems from um, redeems people from their sins uh, and for his um, to redeems from their sins, a people for his own possession. I said it correctly. Um, he hears and answers prayers of those who call on him. Only God has divine glory. And then only God can be worshipped by angels. OK, so these traits are unique to God alone. Only God possesses these traits. No other being in all of the universe can possess these traits. These are only God's traits. Everybody with me? Now, the Bible then goes on to say Jesus possesses the traits that only God can possess. Okay, so then he gives you the scriptures on the other hand, the traits of Jesus. The Bible says that creation is the work of his hands and all things are created in and through him. The Bible then says that Jesus is the first and the last. The Bible calls Jesus Lord of Lords. The Bible says that Jesus is unchanging and eternal. The Bible says that Jesus is the judge of all people. The Bible says that Jesus is the savior of the world and there is no salvation apart from him. The Bible says that Jesus redeems from their sins a people for his own possession. The Bible says that Jesus hears and answers prayers of those who call on him. The Bible says that Jesus has divine glory and the Bible says that Jesus is worshiped by angels. Now, if the Bible says that there is a set of characteristics or traits that only God himself can have. And then those, the Bible says that Jesus possesses these traits. What does that mean about Jesus? That he's God, that, that the Bible is equating Jesus with God. Okay, so I, I thought this was a great summary 
of what we have been looking at the past couple of Sundays uh, and in Bible study on Wednesday to help us to see at a glance passages that we can compare. And I mean, literally, there's tons of the of passages that we can could have included in this chart. Right. Um, so I wanted to give us give you all that. You could take that home and look at the passages of the scripture and see how how these passages line up. But clearly the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. He's not a separate God from the um, from the God of the Old Testament. Right. Which normally we would say is, is referring to God, the father. OK, he's not a separate God. They are one and the same God, even though they are not the same person. Remember, when we started this, we said that the reason that people get confused about the doctrine of the Trinity is because we don't make a distinction between who God is and what God is. Okay, God is three persons, but he is one nature or we could say three who's and one what. (laughs) Okay, so when we're talking about the characteristics or traits that applies only to God, We're talking about his nature, his attributes. Okay, like he said, him being the first and last, being eternal, unchanging, right? Holy. There's one set of characteristics, one nature, but all three of them possess that one nature equally. Okay, everybody see that? Now, real quick, let's hit a couple um, um, couple passages of scripture. I know I dealt with this uh, um, more in depth on um in bible study but i want to want to go over these uh these one last time so that we can can see what the bible says about jesus right and being god and then we'll move on to the holy spirit so i want us to jump into isaiah chapter 45 isaiah chapter 45 And again, like we have been doing every week, you can feel free to stop me and ask questions anytime you choose. We're going to run, run service like Bible study. Isaiah 45. I'm just going to look at verse 22 and 23. Isaiah 45, 22 and 23. reads turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for i am god and there is no other by myself i have sworn for my tongue has gone forth in righteousness a word that shall not return to me to who who is the me jesus is not in this verse i did not say see the word name jesus in this verse god okay So God says to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear an oath. Okay. So to whom will every knee bow and every tongue swear an oath? God. Okay. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Paul now is giving us this great hymn of the church, speaking about Jesus, his him being both human and God. 
Listen to what he says, starting at verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God said that to him, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess or swear an oath. But Paul now says that that verse is referring to Jesus, that to Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, which again, saying that Jesus is Lord is another way of saying Jesus is God, because all throughout the Old Testament, the word Lord is is applied to the father. Talking about God. Okay, so um, so again, the Old Testament takes passages that are, are that are applied to the father and then applies those passages to Jesus. Okay, because Jesus is God. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Daniel. All right. So the book of Daniel, just about three books away from Isaiah. Daniel chapter 7. With this, I'm going to have to hurt a couple people's feelings. Again, we talked about this in Bible study. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 9 down to verses down to verse 9 down to verse 15. <coughs> Okay. We know this passage. We sang about the song this morning, Ancient of Days. Okay. So uh, here, this passage is Daniel has this vision. He has a vision of God the Father. Right. We know that he's referring to God the Father. He's talking about the Ancient of Days. And then he says that there is this divine figure who um, approaches the Ancient of Days. Right. And this divine figure is called the Son of Man. And this Son of Man is given a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever, and all nations and all people will serve him. Okay. Listen to what the passage says. Verse 9, as I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its heels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood attending him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. OK, now that he inserts this section here that we know is referring to the Antichrist. Verse 11. I watched then because of the noise of the arrogant words that the horn was speaking. And as I watched, the beast was put to death and its body destroyed and given over to the burned to be burned with fire. And for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a, a human being, right? Better translation, I think, is the older one, which is a, the son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. 
And he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Okay. So here you see in this passage, you have the ancient of days, God, the father, and you have the son of man who it says is given dominion and kingship and rulership that every single nation and every single person will serve him. It says that he will come on the clouds of heaven. Okay, that'll be important in just one second. Uh, well, let's do that first. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Keep in mind this son of man, this divine figure uh, that Daniel sees, says he will come, he will return on the clouds of heaven. Now, Matthew chapter 26, we know throughout the, all of the Gospels, that Jesus's favorite name for himself, the one he uses for himself more than any other name, is Son of Man, okay? And he actually refers to this passage in Daniel and Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is standing before the Sanhedrin, and he is being tried for blasphemy. And listen to what Jesus says, verse, look at 62. The high priest stood up and said, have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us um, if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Okay. Are you the Messiah, the son of God? Verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's referring specifically to Daniel 7 that says the son of man will come riding on the clouds. Jesus proclaims himself to be that son of man, that divine figure in Daniel chapter 7. The high priest, verse 65, tore his clothes and said he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. So he is saying, yes, I am the Messiah, the son of man, the son of God. And he says, that's blasphemy. Okay. They, they recognize, as we saw in passages uh, last week, that when you say I am the son of God, that literally means I am God. We saw that in, diff in different passages last week. To say I am the son of God, the word son of in Hebrew means to be equal to. I am the son of God. Just like I possess the same nature as my father because I am his son. For Jesus to say I am the son of God, he's saying I am divine. And every single time he said it, they picked up stones and tried to kill him. Because, quote, you being a man are making yourself God. Okay, so when we say, people say, oh, well, you know, Jesus is not God. He's just the son of God. No, you don't understand what son of God means. Because when Jesus said, I'm the son of God, they tried to kill him for claiming to be God. 
because to say I am the son of God means I am equal to God. Okay. Now, really quickly, turn to Revelation chapter one. Well, keep your keep your finger in <laughs> Daniel chapter seven. Okay, one hand in Daniel seven, take the other hand and and put it in Revelation chapter one. Daniel seven and Revelation chapter one. Now this one is going to, you know, I try not to do two controversial things in, in per service, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you gotta you gotta do things as they come <laughs> okay <laughs> okay all right revelation chapter one we've already read the daniel 7 passage okay revelation chapter one here i want us to look at verse nine verse nine revelation chapter one verse nine john is on the island of Patmos. They tried to kill him. Tradition says that they boiled him alive three times in oil, but he would not die. And so they shipped him out to the, <laughs> to the island of Patmos to work in the quarry mines. Now, can you imagine being like 90 years old, trying to chip away and break rocks, you know, as a prisoner? Okay, so so this is this is his punishment for not <laughs> for them not he was preaching so hard about Jesus they tried to kill him he wouldn't die so they just shipped him off. Okay, so now John is on the island of Patmos, and on Sunday, right? He says on the Lord's day, he sees this vision, and he sees a vision of Jesus. Verse nine, I John your brother who share with you in Jesus the persecution and kingdom of the patient endurance was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. <clears throat> then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. So who is this? Jesus. Okay. One like the Son of Man. He was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like a sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and uh, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force. Okay. Now, according to this passage, humor me, don't give the answer too quickly. I know we talked about this Sunday, but everybody wasn't on, I mean, Wednesday, everybody wasn't on Bible study. Um, now, according to this passage, what nationality is Jesus? Hmm? Yeah. What, what race is Jesus, according to this passage? <laughs> okay. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. Now, many times we use this passage to say, there you go, Jesus was black. It said he has, he has hair that is white like, um, that is hair like wool. And his skin was brown. 
because it, it, it was like bronze that had been burned in the fire. Okay. Now, I want you to use that first hand, and let's turn back to Daniel chapter 7. Okay. D Daniel chapter 7. Now, notice the description that Daniel gives of God the Father, the Ancient of Days. Okay. Now, it's important for us to remember, does God the Father have a body? No. God the Father does not have a body. He has no physical features at all. So when, John, when Daniel sees this vision of God the Father sitting on the throne and he has hair and wool, you know, and, and all of these things, is this him really seeing God or is this metaphorical language? Okay, so it's metaphorical language. What's the problem? Yeah, yes and no, because he, he actually saw this vision, but the the vision is 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 metaphor no. Listen, back to her all right. I'm trying not to have to deal with back to Wednesday. Okay. You said that the passage about Jesus is a metaphor. Okay, and what I'm saying is that the passage about Jesus, it, in, a, in essence, is a metaphor because it is referring back to Daniel chapter 7. But him, him seeing Jesus was not a metaphor. He physically saw Jesus. So the, the, point, I, the point I was making on Wednesday, John physically saw Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. What, I'm, what, what we were addressing in, in, on Wednesday was... Did he physically see Jesus? And what I'm saying is most people say, when they say that the Bible is, is speaking metaphorically, that, oh, no, that this is just something that they made up. This is a vision or a dream, or, but it really did not happen. What I'm, what I'm saying Wednesday is, no, it literally did happen. Even though John is using metaphorical language to describe what he saw, it actually did happen. You get my point? Okay. All right. So let me ask this question. Uh, let, let us ask you a question. Did Jesus physically ra rise from the dead? Okay. So what would you say to the people who say Jesus did not physically rise from the dead? That's only metaphorical language. <laughs> Blasphemy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because there are, there are tons of, of Christians who say, uh, the, I guess the most famous for us would be Martin Luther King. He did not believe Jesus rose from the dead. He said that that is that is, is, a, is metaphorical language that people cannot rise from the dead. People don't die and come back to life. That was his position. <laughs> so the, the point I'm making is, is that what I'm saying is you can use metaphorical language to describe an event that actually did happen. But there are some people who will say the events did not happen. They are just metaphors for something else. Okay. And so, so for example, the tradition that Martin Luther King follows, they said Jesus did not physically rise from the dead. When it says Jesus rose from the dead, it's talking about spiritually. He rose spiritually. Okay, and Paul addresses that in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. If Jesus only rose spiritually, you're going to hell. 
Because if God couldn't bring Jesus back to life, how in the world can he bring you back? <laughs> okay. So, so what I'm saying, when I said, when, when I was making a distinction about metaphorical language in, in um, last week, I was referring to specifically, there are some people who say metaphorically, these events did not happen, but they're just metaphors for, to teach us something spiritually. What I'm saying is, no, John physically saw Jesus when he was on the island of Patmos. He describes what he saw in metaphorical language. He's trying to communicate something about what he saw to us. Just like Daniel actually saw this vision of God on the throne and Jesus approaching him. But when he describes God the Father, we know God the Father doesn't have a head. He's invisible. Okay? He he's a spirit. He does not have physical characteristics. So when, we, when we're talking about God had hair like wool, we have to ask ourselves, what is Daniel trying to say about God the Father, right? Because when, he, when God physically manifests himself, he does so in a way for us to learn something about him. Everybody got me? Okay. Um, so let's look at these two passages, Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 1. Now, notice what John says here about um, God the Father, okay? He says, verse 9, he says, As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. Okay? So, when we see someone with white hair, what do we think about them? That they're old. Okay? It's talking about age, how long they've been around. So when this passage calls God the Father the ancient one or the ancient of days and describes him as having white hair, right, it is trying to communicate to you God's eternality, right? God is old, okay? When, when, when it says the ancient of days, when, the, when days were created, God was already ancient, okay? Now, Revelation chapter 1 Verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the son of man, clothed, clothed, clothed. Okay, because Daniel chapter 7 talks about God's clothes first, right? Clothed with a long robe with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white, as white as wool, white as snow. The Ancient of Days has white hair. And that means that he's eternal. Jesus has white hair, white as snow, white like wool. Hmm. Is this saying that Jesus has kinky hair like black people? No, it is equating Jesus with God the Father in Daniel chapter 7. It is saying that Jesus is eternal like God the Father. Anybody see that? Okay. Now, it goes on to say about Jesus, it says, His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. Okay. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel goes on to say, His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were 
burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. Now, when we look at fire in reference to God the Father, it's talking about his purity and his holiness. So when it's talking about Jesus having eyes like a flame of fire, right? It's talking about his purity, his holiness, and it, it includes the idea from the entire context that Jesus is prepared for judgment. Okay. So in his holiness, right, he is going to come and judge the nations. We know that because just a couple verses up, it says that he's going to return. And when he comes, every eye will see him. And the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. Okay. So now this passage, again, is not talking about Jesus's nationality. It has nothing. It says nothing about his nationality. I'm not saying Jesus was um, was black or was not black. I'm not saying Jesus was white or was not white. What I'm saying is the passage says nothing about that at all. <laughs> that's my point. Okay. That, that's all. I, that's my point. My point is, you can't make an argument from this verse on what Jesus looks like because it is a metaphor, <laughs> right? Just like when I say, man, your car is a lemon. Can I, do I mean that you're riding around in a, in a piece of fruit? <laughs> I can't even say that your car is yellow <laughs> just because I say it's a lemon, okay? <laughs> right? It says nothing about what your car looks like. Okay, it is simply a metaphor. It is equating Jesus with God the Father in Daniel chapter 7. Now, I promise you, John spent three and a half years with Jesus. I don't think that he would be surprised about what Jesus. Oh, look at Jesus. Let me write down what he looked like. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just don't get it. I don't think that that's what was on his mind. When he was on the island of Patmos, he turned around and was like, y'all, Jesus black. <laughs> I just don't think that, I don't think that that's what was on his mind. Okay. Okay. That, that's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is, I know Ms. Mimi don't like it when I say it. When I, when I see Jesus, I promise you, he going to look something like Ms. Mimi. Okay. That's what I, that's all I see. That's all I think. That's all I think. That's what I think. Okay, he, he's going to look Middle Eastern. Okay, beyond that, I can't say. <laughs> okay, beyond that, I can't say. Okay, I don't think he's going to have woolly hair. I don't, because when I look at David and all of these other people in the Bible that were Middle Eastern, the Bible talks about the locks of their hair. And I don't know about a whole bunch of people with kinky hair with locks. Unless, you know, we talking about, you know, twisting it. I mean, that's just, I just don't, I just don't see it. I think that he's going to be Middle Eastern. Beyond that, I think the Bible is very careful not to tell us what he looks like. And I think that he, the Bible does that on, on purpose. You know why? Because look at how history, throughout history, Jesus is white with blonde hair and blue eyes. And then, you know, we worship white with blonde hair and blue eyes. And then all of us be like, see, that make me mad. He's like, they keep trying to make Jesus white. And so what we want to do, Jesus was black. <laughs> okay. And then Jesus got to be black. Now you got portraits of ancient um, Asian Jesus and, 
It's like, I'm just like, well, why are we focus so much on what Jesus looked like? I think we're all going to be surprised when we, when, when we get there. That's my point. Listen, I don't care if Jesus was polka dot. As long as I'm not burning in hell, I don't really care what he looks like. That's just, I mean, that's just me personally. That's just, that's just me personally. <laughs> you know, he could be percolite. He could be striped like a zebra. And that, I don't really, I don't really care as long as I don't burn in hell. Okay. But all, all I'm saying is that I don't think the Bible ever gives us a physical description of Jesus. And I think, I think it's intentional because we have a tendency to make God in our image and worship that image. And, and God will have none of that. Okay. That, that's probably why he said, don't make any images of me. Go ahead, go figure, you know. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. We're going to be over our time. All right. Um, let's hit Luke 24. Luke 24. I'm not going to read the, all of these verses. You can look at verses 13 through 27. 13 through 27 is this whole story. Jesus, of course, is crucified, and then he is, is raised from the dead, right? And on the day he was raised from the dead, some of the disciples are walking on this road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to them on this road to the Emmaus, but they do not recognize him. Okay. And so Jesus begins to, to talk to them because they were complaining. Yeah, we, you know, where have you been? You know, you haven't heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. We thought he was going to be the Messiah, but then he was killed. And now, you know, we're just sad. Jesus says to them, verse 25, then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Okay, so he started with Moses and taught them everything about himself in the scriptures. Now, question, when Jesus rose from the dead, was there a New Testament? No, there was only Genesis through Malachi, right? Okay, so when it says that Jesus taught them about himself in all the scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament. There's no New Testament. When Jesus rose from the dead, there was no New Testament, right? So Jesus started with Genesis and worked his way through the Old Testament, teaching them about himself. How is that possible if Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament? Right, he was. Okay, <laughs> that's the point I'm making. That is the point I'm making. Right, people say, "Well, Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament." Jesus is all over the Old Testament, and so he starts with Genesis, works his way through the Old Testament, explaining what the Scriptures said about him. Okay, so we can, because we have an understanding of Jesus in the New Testament, we can go back to the Old Testament and see the places that was referring to him. Okay, like Daniel chapter seven, the Son of Man. Um, uh, John chapter 18, 
these next couple passages are in John, and then we're almost done. If you want to really, 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 and I don't, I don't advise this, but you know, if you really would love to uh, have conversations with our Jehovah's Witnesses friends, you should be very familiar with the with the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. Um, we're going to look at uh, John 18. I remember uh, I'm um, Jehovah's Witness, these two guys that came to my house and we were talking. And I was like, hold on, let me get my Bible. He's like, we can use mine. No, I'm going to get mine. <laughs> so so we, were, um, we were talking and we were going back and forth about do the Gospel of John. And they was like, all right, all right, we got to go. We got to go. We're we going to come back next week. It was like three years ago. <laughs> I'll tell you, Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 18. Look at what, what uh, Jesus says for himself, right? Jesus is, is being betrayed by Judas. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas brings the mob to him, and they are asking, we want Jesus, okay? Look at verse 5. They, a- they answered, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, right? He said, Jesus says, whom are you looking for, verse, uh, verse 4. Verse 5, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am, okay, I know that the version that we use now says I am he, okay, but, the, but it's ego a me in Greek re- means I am, okay. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they stepped back and fell to the ground. When Jesus says, I am, they fall down. His words were so powerful, they were knocked to the ground, okay. Now, um, turn to John chapter 8. We could see this all over the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes these um, seven I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. Right. Um, And every single time Jesus is not when he says I am, he's just not saying, you know, oh, that's me. I'm Jesus. Come arrest me. Okay. Jesus is claiming the title that God gave for himself in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses met um, God at the burning bush, right, he says, well, the people are going to know, want to know what's your name, what God has sent, sent you. And he says, tell them I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you to me. So Jesus is claiming this title for himself. And when he says I am, the people fall back. They fall down, okay, because his words were so powerful because he's claiming to be Jehovah. Now, John chapter 8, we see this another passage. Jesus does the same thing. He claims this, this I am title for himself, and we'll see how the people respond to him. John chapter 8, looking at verse 50. Let's see where we start. Let's start at verse 55. Jesus says, though you do not know him, but I know him, if I would say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. Jesus was very sarcastic, if y'all didn't want to know. <laughs> uh, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was... 
I am. Notice he did not say, well, before Abraham was born, I was here. He says before Abraham was, I am. It is a very odd thing. You don't say that in English. You say <laughs> that you don't say I am in, in this context in English. But notice what they do. They recognize what Jesus is saying. Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they pick up stones to kill him? Because he was claiming to be the same God that met Moses at the burning bush, the I am. Jesus was claiming to be God. So people say, well, Jesus never said, I'm God. He did. He said it right here. <laughs> he, he claims to be God and they try to kill him. Everybody see that? Okay. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We all have uh, heard this passage. I'm going to start at verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I'm talking about his sheep. Uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. What my father has given me is greater than all else. And no one can snatch it out of my father's hand. Verse 30, the father and I are one. Right. The father and I are one. Now, as I said, Wednesday, um, a lot of times. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, Jewish people do the same thing, right? As a matter of fact, I was reading recently reading an article um, about this passage from a uh, this rabbi, and he was he they then same thing that the Jehovah's Witness did that day at my house, right? They start jumping to other passages, okay? And so, well, you know, when it says that they are one, it's talking about they had the same purpose. God the Father wanted Jesus to come and die to save people. And Jesus is just saying they're one; they have the same purpose. That's His purpose to come and die. OK, and so they jumped all of these other passages and me, I just let them. I, I just wait. You know, I, I spent several years in Bible interpretation and. Um, you know, you don't read something and then jump to a other bunch of other passages to understand what it means. You can actually look at the passage itself and look and find out what it means. So when Jesus says the father and I are one. Let's see how the Jews responded in the in the passage. Don't don't the, the verse didn't end at verse 30. There's another verse and they never want to read the next verse. And so we have to I tell you, whenever you're talking to somebody, always read three verses before and three verses after. And you'll pretty much know everything you need to know. Now, when Jesus said, I and my father are one, they did not hear him say me and the father had the same purpose. You know what they heard? They heard something that made them want to kill Jesus because the next verse says the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, though only a human being, are making yourself God. I and my father are one. Uh-uh, you can't say you God. They didn't say, 
we're going to stone you because you said you had the same purpose as the father. <laughs> they said you're claiming to be God to say that to say that God is your father and to say that you are one is to claim that you yourself are God. That's why we have to kill you. OK. Oh, somebody had a hand up. They would just say that the whole New Testament is invalid. They just say that the historical evidence is just historical. You were just confused. You th there are things that are historical that actually happened. That's history, but the people who did those things were just confused about what was happening, right? So I mean, we can't right. So think of it this way. Um, most, most biblical scholars today are not Christians. Okay? Yeah, most biblical scholars today are not Christians. There's this, um, what is his name? Re uh, Re uh, I think his name, um, Re his name is Rez Reza Aslan, okay? He is a Muslim, but he is a New Testament biblical scholar. And he got tired of people saying, Jesus doesn't exist. There, there's no, there's no, there was no historical Jesus. So guess what he did? He wrote a book to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was a historical figure. And guess what he did? He went back to all of these documents from the first century that talks about Jesus. He did not use the Bible at all. But he went back to all of these historical documents of all of these other figures in history that talks about Jesus, his crucifixion and all of these things. Right. The historians of his day. And he used all of these documents to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was an actual historical figure. OK. Now, if you ask Reza Aslan, who is a New Testament biblical scholar who wrote a book about whether or not. Jesus is God he would say Psh, of course not no he was an actual human being that lived but he definitely was not God <laughs> his disciples got that confused they made that up after he died that's what he'll say so you can have actual historical information and people just say Psh, they just got it wrong that's all they don't deny the history because you cannot deny the history. You just create a new interpretation of the history. And they'll just say, nobody believed Jesus was God. They just made that up after he died. You know, when they had that council, when they voted and made Jesus God. <laughs> okay, they'll just make up the, they'll just have a different interpretation of it. Tina, then Uncle Bill. And then we got two verses and we stop.
No, I didn't say. No, they studied again. Most biblical, most biblical scholars are not Christians. They were interested in archaeology. And when you if you study archaeology, studying the Bible and biblical history is a part of it. And so they just became interested in in biblical history and became biblical scholars. They don't believe any of it, though. Yeah. And this is the point I'm making. Just because people come to go to church does not make them Christians. These people are teaching in seminary. And they'll tell you point blank. I don't believe none of that. Mm -hmm. It's a career. It's just a career. One of, one of my friends, he went to um, Princeton. You know, he, he, he wanted to be a lawyer and he always wanted to go to Princeton. But then he, he felt called to the ministry. So he's like, I'm going to go to Princeton Divinity School. And we were talking. He was like, man, these people crazy. He said, he said one, his, the leading professor at the school when he was there rec had recently wrote a book that said the gospel of John is a fake gospel and that we should focus more on the gospel of Judas. And I was like, the gospel of Judas? I said, <laughs> I said he must have, I said he must have threw down those 30 pieces of silver and went out and wrote his gospel real quick and then went and hung himself the same night. I said, man, I tell you, these people. But that's the point. They, they, they don't believe any of it. <laughs> they, they don't believe any of it. I'll say another thing, but I'm real quick before going. Have you, you all, when you were growing up and you were taught history, did anybody ever talk to you about um, the church? No. But my question would be, how do you learn history of the world without learning about the church? Because there would be no Western civilization if it wasn't for the church. Because when Rome fell to the Vandals in 430, Western civilization was going to collapse. The only reason Western civilization was around was because the church had these libraries of all of these historical books, and when they fled Rome, they carried these documents all over the Western em the empire so that then they had resources to keep learning about what happened in history and to build from. That's why the church was so powerful throughout the Middle Ages, because they the church was the reason that civilization, Western civilization did not collapse with the Roman Empire. But when you go to school, they don't teach you any of this stuff. All they teach you was man and Christian was killing people. And that's the only cont contribution that they um, they had the, the Inquisition and all of that. That's all you had. And so that's why we need separation of church and state. And we don't realize 
that the concept of separation in church and state was created by the church. Because we was tired of the state telling us what we had to do in church. And then we come to America and they say, well, separation of church and state means you can't talk about your religion outside of the four walls of church. And I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's not what separation of church meant. We can go all the way back to Geneva with John Calvin and tell you what it meant. Uncle Bill, then we got to hit these verses so I can let y'all go because we way over our time. Most um, hold that the first five books are the most authoritative. They have more authority than the rest of the, the Bible, right? So, and again, they don't hold to, they don't believe the New Testament at all. So you can make arguments, and that's why I say, if you, if you want to talk to a Jew, you have to use the Old Testament to convince, convince them about Jesus. You have to. You got to. The book of Isaiah, you got to know the book of Isaiah if you want to witness to Jews, right? You can only go to, um, to use the Old Testament to, to convince them about, about Christ. All right, last two things. Colossians chapter 1. Yep, Colossians 1. I know y'all was like, man, we ain't even come to flip these pages like this. I uh, hate having new Bibles. Make the pages just stick together. Colossians chapter 1. We all probably know this uh, passage here. <clears throat> Paul here, verse 15, is talking about the supremacy of Christ. He says he is the image, the image, okay? So when we talk about an image, right, this word a cone means a physical representation, okay? So like a, think of a statue, okay? So you have, uh, we've all been to D.C., right, and we've seen the monuments, Okay, we've all have either been to or seen the, the Lincoln Memorial. Okay, so you have this big statue of, of President Lincoln sitting there in, the, in his memorial, right? Is that actually Abraham Lincoln? No, that is a, an image, a physical representation of who Abraham Lincoln is. Okay, so this is what Paul is saying about Jesus. Jesus is the, the image, the icon, the physical representation of the invisible God. God is invisible. You will never see God the Father. He is invisible. Okay? But Jesus is the physical representation of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him or for, and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Now, notice what a couple things that Paul says here. First, as I said, Jesus is the physical representation of God that is invisible. Okay, um, And he then says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, when I, you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, they love to go to this verse. This is where they get the doctrine that Jesus is not eternal, that he is the first thing God created, and then he used Jesus to create everything else. Now, here's the problem. They say for him to be firstborn of all creation means that he's the first created thing. The only problem is when you look down at verse 18, look at verse 18. Well, verse 18, yeah, 18. He says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, the question that I, that I asked my Jehovah's Witness, this guy that asked, said that used this passage, I said, was Jesus the first person ever resurrected? Because if firstborn of all creation means that he's the first created thing, then firstborn from the dead has to mean he was the first person resurrected from the dead. And, and we know throughout the Bible, Jesus is not the first person resurrected from the dead. There's Lazarus. You know, Jesus raised a, a widow's son. We can go back to the widow of Zarephath in the Old Testament. Her son was raised from the dead, right? There, there's numerous people in the Bible that's raised from the dead. So for Jesus to be the first front born from the dead cannot mean that he's the first person raised from the dead. And if in this passage, firstborn does not mean first, then we have to ask ourselves, well, what does it mean, Right? And the answer is that it is talking about his rank, the position that he holds. So even though he's not the first person raised from the dead, of all of those people raised from the dead, he's the top. Okay? And so it's saying the same thing about his place in creation. Jesus is the ruler of creation. That's all that it is saying when he says that he's the firstborn of all creation. Right? Think about the Old Testament. When they talk about the firstborn, right, it's not talking about the person who was born first. They were oftentimes the first person born first, but it's talking about the status. Who is going to be the heir to run everything when daddy dies? Right. That, that's what firstborn is about. Remember Jacob and Esau, right? Esau has the birthright and Jacob tricks him into giving him the, the, um, the birthright. And so Jacob takes the firstborn status because the title firstborn is talking about status the position that you hold okay so um don't let them again we have to look at context right bible interpretation context tells you what is being said and that's why it says he's the firstborn so that he can have first place okay everybody see that chapter 2 of colossians verse 8 and 9 chapter 2 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity 
dwells bodily. Now, let me ask you this question. I probably should have had uh, some bottles of water for this, but, you know, use your holy imagination. <laughs> there we go. All right, let's do this. There we go. All right. You have this bottle. Okay. Can I pour everything in this bottle into this bottle? Why not? It's going to spill over. Why? It doesn't have the capacity to hold it. Okay. If Jesus is finite, does he have the capacity to take all the fullness of God? No. If Jesus is just a creature like you and I, it doesn't matter if he's the first creature made, okay, to, to, if we think about Jehovah's Witnesses teaching. He, he's still a creature. He's still finite, and God is infinite. You cannot pull all the fullness of God into a created thing. It doesn't have the capacity, correct? The Bible says that in him, all the, the whole fullness of deity, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. In his body, everything that God is has been poured into him in physical form. All, all the saying is that Jesus, the human being Jesus, is God in every single respect. Everybody see that? There's nothing that God the Father has that Jesus lacks. Jesus does not lack anything that God the Father is. Everybody see that? All right. Any questions, comments, concerns? Y'all going to be at the back of the line today for eating the restaurants? <laughs> All right. So, like I said, this it, um, when we're finished with, um, with Jesus, we're going to move on to um, to the Holy Spirit. OK, so um, that should only take us one or two Sundays. So you can uh, start if you have not start reading the book of Malachi. OK, so you can be prepared. Well, in uh, next month, we'll be jumping into uh, the book of Malachi right in the middle of the month. All right. All right, let's get you out of here. Hope you all 